Everyone and welcome to Ladies Night, the official podcast of US Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi and you are listening to the artist Huga of hugamusica.com and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh Capablanca. His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at US Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our US Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies' Night. This is Jennifer Shahadi, and today... I am with National Master Sarah Chiang. She's a currently a med student at the McGovern Medical School in Houston, Texas. And she's a graduate of the Washington University in St. Louis. She's one of a handful of female players, which by the way, also includes myself, who have played in both Invitationals, the U.S. Women's Championship, as well as the U.S. Junior Championship. She's also written and researched the gender divide in chess during her time at Wash U and is an advocate for women and girls in chess. I have spoken to Sarah over the years also about when parental encouragement in chess can become too pushy. So look forward to speaking to her about that as well. Sarah's degree was in biochemistry, but she also took creative writing courses at WashU. And one piece she wrote, Alone Cherry Tree, chronicles her trip to play in the Pan American Championship in Peru, where she was the only girl among over 60 players in the open section. So it was one of those events like the World Youth where they have two sections, the girls section and the open section where girls are allowed to play, but usually there's only a handful, if any. And here's an excerpt from her piece on that. I have perfected what is known as the resting bitch face. My bottom lips curve down, my cheeks abide to gravity, my eyebrows scrunch together, my eyes narrow slightly, and if I'm purposely in character, I imagine I'm the Grim Reaper. I have utilized this expression so much it has unfortunately become my default face. People often ask me, is everything okay, even if I'm cheerfully humming to myself? But the reason I wear a don't mess with me expression is because I often use it to ward off unwanted attention. Sarah then goes on to explain, but most often I use it when I'm playing in chess tournaments. I love that piece, Sarah, and that was a very strong opening. So thank you. (laughs) So I have to ask, is everything okay? No, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, everything is okay. I, I I love that because I was reading over that because it's been like five years since I've written that piece and I read it over again. I was like, wow, that actually is so accurate. That's so true. I remember the first time somebody told me just like, oh, like, why do you look so angry? Like, why do you look? And in my head, like I was just doing it subconsciously. Like I wasn't even like, I was like, oh yeah, I'm playing a Chester man. I have to look serious. I have to look like that. It wasn't even like consciously registering. This is what I was doing. It was like, like on my face all the time. And then after someone brought it up, I was like, yeah, yep. This is, (laughs) this is how I look. And this is how I play in Chester man. 
for a reason. I like that. And I think it's really valuable because I actually tend to smile a lot. And sometimes I'm not necessarily in a great mood. So I think it kind of emphasizes that how somebody looks on the outside isn't necessarily what their mood is and that you have to be really careful about like just extrapolating in that way. Absolutely. For sure. But you said you used it also to ward off unwanted attention in chess tournaments. So can you elaborate on that? Yeah, I think like specifically for this tournament, because I was the only female playing, it was just like, obviously I walk into that situation where I am going to get a lot of attention like that, you know, because I'm the only girl in a like a room full of guys. So for me, like, I don't want, you know, I don't want that attention. Like, I wish I could just walk in and just be like, I'm a chess player. Like all the other people are chess players. And I don't want that extra attention. Like, oh, I'm a girl, you know, that's playing chess. So I think when I put on a serious face, it's more so that like people don't approach me or like ask me a lot of questions and things like that. So I can just kind of go in there and just play. That's partially like also in terms of like the unwanted attention. That's kind of why I like just don't want to draw attention and like get a lot of questions that like, oh yeah, like why are you playing in the open section when you could be playing in the girl section? I totally get it. I mean, in fact, I'd say when I play poker, I sometimes do that because uh, in poker, it's a game where people actually often just start talking to you because it's not against the rules. In chess, it's a it's a little different because usually at least when you're playing the game, people are like, it's not even within the rules for them to talk to you during the game. Not that people don't sometimes break it, especially at classic events. Unless you're offering a draw, you actually can't talk to your opponent during the game, right? Yeah. In poker, you'd have to use that face even more. <laughs> I can totally see that. Although for me, a lot of the time, it was not because anybody was like saying anything offensive. It was actually just that it was hard for me to have a conversation and focus on the game at the same time. Like... That's kind of like the rubbing your belly in and and patting your head. It can be a little bit difficult. Yeah. So tell us more about this tournament. It was in Peru. It was a Pan-American championship. And how old were you at the time? I believe I was 16. You were 16? I, I believe so. So you were 16 years old. And talk to us about the invitations. Presumably you got an invitation to play the girls and the Open at the same time. And you just got to pick. How did that conversation with yourself and with your parents go? So honestly, my parents have always been like playing the hardest section. So like, even when I was like a 1300, like just really lower rated, they would always put me in open sections. They would never put me in like ranked categorical sections. So because of that, I grew up with this mentality of like, oh, you should always try to play against the best players. That's how you get better. You learn from the mistakes that you make and you get challenged by good players. So when it came to deciding this, it wasn't really that much of a question. Um, It was like, okay, you know, I could play in the open section where I was ranked like 11th at the start, like as a starting seed. So it wasn't like I was, I had no chance of meddling or doing well. And the girls section just like wouldn't be, at least for like where I was at the time, um, I don't exactly know what my starting rank would be if I played in the girls section. But there would just be not as many like higher rated players. So that's the main decision. Yeah. So it wasn't a really difficult decision for you. You knew that like you wanted Mm -hmm. to take the opportunity to play the open tournament. And it sounds like based on your essay, you know, you have a great writing style. You did get more comments than usual at that event. In fact, you say, I've never been doused with so many degrading comments and it was difficult to prevent them from seeping in. 
why did my gender matter? Why didn't people tell the kid who placed last in my section that he didn't belong? And in the end, you did tie for sixth out of over 60 players. So you had a solid, strong result. So what kind of things were people saying to you? People would just ask me a lot, like, oh, like, why are you playing in the section? Or they would look really surprised, like, when I told them what section I was playing in. And even, like, when I did lose a game or, like, I didn't win a game, people, like, even if it was someone lower rated than me, which, you know, usually they were, they would be like, oh, like, it's okay, you're playing in a hard section. You're, you know, and it's just like, but I'm supposed to win, like, according to my rating, like, I'm supposed to be the better player. I'm supposed to win. So, like, I don't know why you're saying this to me. <laughs> so, it was kind of just like that. Um, and it was different because, you know, most of my career, I've always played in, you know, open sections. So, you know, I didn't get as much of those comments because there's no separate girl section. But when you're playing in a tournament where there is that option, then I felt like there was some sort of expectation for me to play in the girl section and not the open section. Understandable. So it sounds like actually like adding the girl section made it more of a thing. That said, I've read some interviews with you and it sounds like you have mixed feelings on girls and women's events. And despite what you're saying now, like you don't um, necessarily have only negative feelings towards them. I often honestly avoid this question in ladies night because I know my guests have questions about it so often, but you've clearly thought and written about these so deeply. So I just have to ask, like, if you had to wave a magic wand, how would you structure chess competitions in terms of like girls events and women's events and open events? So here's my thoughts on that. Like, I think that girls events and women's events like are really helpful for getting girls involved. And I think that was kind of one of the main reasons why they had a section specifically for girls and women's is to encourage more female participation. So I think that's really good and that's really great. But there are also some girls who like want to play in the open section, right? So like, I'm not exactly sure how like would structure it per se, but I think that like, if a girl wants to play in the open section, like that should be celebrated instead of like, and I think it's getting better, even though like it hasn't been that long since I've been playing, but I think it's becoming more widely accepted for girls to start playing in like open sections. So I think that is good and that's great. I do think it's very celebrated in general, but I think the flip side of it is that there are also so many amazing girls and women's sections and girls are getting so strong that usually the girls and women's sections are pretty tough as well that sometimes the incentive is not always there to play in the open if like you can get strong competition from the girls anyway and there's so many girls events that's just something interesting and I've seen people like Judah Polgar kind of create this um, tournament for play Magnus where it the champions chess tour where it's about like bringing young girls like Carissa Yip and I think she's the only American playing at the moment but Carissa Yip and then a lot of international girls and then also bringing in like top junior players and trying to just like mix it up a little bit yeah, no, I think that's awesome. And I think that's really good. Yeah, it almost feels like you need to be kind of creative these days because it's hard to create. Uh, obviously, there's lots of great open events, but um, it does tend that if you have a girl section and an open section, the open section is mostly male just because of like the disparity in how many girls play the game. Yeah, for sure. So you actually wrote about this topic, the gender divide in chess at Washington University. Can you tell us a little bit about why you chose that topic and what you ended up working on? 
this was my freshman year of college. So chess was like, you know, coming out of high school is a big part of my life. So I, you know, during this creative writing class, you could basically do a research on whatever you wanted to do. So I thought, well, I wanted, always wanted to know why there was a gender divide in chess and thought. So I was like, okay, yeah, why not do a research project on it? So I did a lot of research, like looking up a lot of different sources. And I also decided to interview some of the players that I knew and ask them what their thoughts were on this topic as well. And like whether they felt any different when they were playing against people of the same gender or a different sex as well. So that was kind of the inspiration for, for this paper. Yeah. And what were you most surprised about from the results or from your research? Um, I would say that, I mean, I, in some respects, like as a female player, I was kind of, I don't know if I was necessarily surprised. I knew that like, you know, the females that I interviewed by and large, like were more aware of these differences than the guys were. So I think that like that necess- that wasn't necessarily like that was as surprising to me. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was just like a great way just to like interview the players that I knew and get their thoughts. The stereotype threat. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that means? Yeah, I think like usually it's in relation to like mathematics, for instance. So it's like, oh, there is this stereotype that like females, for instance, are not as good as math in, in terms of, you know, compared to men. And when they're told that, then that actually influences their performance. So when it comes to chess, for example, you know, people telling females that like, oh, yeah, you know, you guys are rated lower on average, like you guys are not as good at chess compared to us, then that influences their psyche in terms of like how they end up performing. It's like another factor that they have to think about when they're actually playing a game. Which can be super distracting, especially in chess, which is like a full mental sport. Um, And for you, did you feel in your personal experience that you had this stereotype thread and that affected your own play? I think specifically for that Pan American tournament, tournament, I did because I knew it affected me a lot in terms of just like every single time I was playing, I thought about it. Like I was surrounded by like tables and tables of like other guys that were playing there and was the only girl. And so just having to think about that and like having to even just fight my own thoughts and be like, Sarah, no focus on the game. Like even just like taking the mental energy to like push those thoughts away, like obviously impacted my play. So I would say so. Did you have any positive memories from that event? Like somebody who kind of like went against the grain and was very supportive of you? My parents were always very supportive. Like they helped me a lot in terms of how to think and like how to fortify, like, just like, what do you think about? What is your thought process? What's your mentality when you play a game? So I think they were there for me and that helps a lot. So they were in Peru as well? Yeah. Well, my dad was. You know, it's interesting. I saw your thoughts on the stereotype thread in this chess-based article from a few years ago by Dr. Alexi Rood, and it also quoted a professor from New York University, Dr. Andre Simpion. And he talked about how there's also something called the stereotype lift, which means that you get so, I I mean, just to paraphrase it in completely non-scientific terms, you get so annoyed by the stereotype that it pushes you to work even harder and crush all the guys. Does that resonate with you at all? 
So I would say like that definitely does affect some people. For me, I don't think that resonates with me as much because more so with my experience, it was just like, okay, like how do I like focus the best that I can? How can I put away these negative thoughts that I don't want in my head? So I don't think it applies to me as much, but I know it applies to other people. Yeah, but there's also a bit of selection bias there, I think, because like the people who are really um, female chess champions, I think they might be more likely to have the stereotype lift than the average girl who, I think they might be more likely, female chess champions might be more likely to have the stereotype lift than a girl who, you know, doesn't play chess because she's not seen as, you know, the stereotypical chess player. But uh, that said, you did well in the tournament, right? You didn't underperform. I think you either performed at expectation or higher. So did you overcome these feelings? Or do you feel like it was just like your preparation and instincts were so good that it kind of didn't matter that you were distracted? You know, that's a really interesting question because I think throughout this tournament, like I felt like I wasn't performing as well as I could have, even though the results were kind of, they weren't terrible. They were decent. But I think it was just like the experience as a whole, because that was the first time I had played, you know, in in an open section. So I just think the experience as a whole kind of colored it so that I felt like I wasn't performing well. Like every loss, for example, felt like it felt a lot greater than a normal loss. Even when I drew, it felt like it just felt more negative than usual. So I, I think that like, even though I ended up performing decently, I don't think I like felt that way, like after the tournament. So it added like a lot of negative energy for sure. So you also played in the U.S. Junior Championship. And when you played in that, you were the only girl playing, right? That is true. Yes. (laughs) Was there like 12 or there's usually 10 or 12 people in that? I believe there was 10. And how did that experience differ from the one in Peru? Was it before or after? And how did your kind of like approach... I believe it was after, but that one I felt like was even more so because it was like on a national stage and it was like broadcasted and we talked about the games afterwards and it was like the Pan Am was also an invitational, but the juniors was definitely more prestigious in a sense in terms of like getting invited. It was also different because I was ranked the last, I was like ranked last out of all of those players. And my rating difference was a couple hundred points below too. But despite all that, I still felt like in the juniors that I was carrying an extra weight in terms of representing girls almost, not just representing myself. So that did add a lot of extra pressure. The one time I played in the U.S. Junior Championship, um, I was actually not the only girl as Irina Crash was also in the event. And it's interesting because I think that probably did kind of like shift the, the sense of pressure because Irina was a higher rated player than me. I got in because I won the U.S. Junior Open and she was in by rating. And so I, I didn't necessarily feel that kind of gender pressure, which I think just goes to show like how important it is in a way to have like more than one because like one is like always all on you, right? For sure. Yeah. If there were other girls playing the tournament, I definitely would not have felt like the same amount of pressure, like the gender pressure. To wrap up this part of the conversation, is there any other like kind of as chess kind of moves forward and as I'm sure you've seen, it's become incredibly popular in the last couple of years. I know you've been super busy with med school, but is there any other like 
advice that you have for organizers, players, parents out there in terms of like making it more comfortable for girls and particularly like dealing with this stereotype threat? You know, I don't know. I don't don't know, like from an organizer standpoint, but I will say like the way things are going now, it's like chess becoming more and more popularized and more girls are getting into it and like playing. So I think that's really, really promising and really, really exciting for the future of chess. Yeah. And hopefully it'll make people not feel less of that stereotype threat Mm -hmm. for sure. I think, you know, it's interesting. There's like this stereotype threat, but there's also, like, that's one thing. But then there's also like just the male gaze, right? Which is kind of beyond chess and just generally the fact that kind yeah. of like women are looked at more because of, you know, the, I think the overemphasis on female appearances as opposed to male appearances. But honestly, I mean, appearances in general, like I don't even need to make it only about mm-hmm. gender, but certainly there's that extra emphasis on girls' looks. Do you think that plays into it as well? I think it plays into it a little bit. That's a whole society thing. Like, I don't know if necessarily there's anything like in chess that we could do for that, but that is very much there as well. Yeah, I agree with you that that is a kind of like a much bigger picture issue, but I think it sometimes gets exacerbated in a world like chess where there are so few women. So like Mm -hmm. more of the male gaze goes to like fewer people. So it's like even more intense, like it's an even intensified gaze, if you will. So what is your first memory of chess just to go like way back? So I first started um, when my dad brought me to a elementary school chess, like after school program. So my dad's an optometrist and he had a patient who was the chess head coach of that elementary school program. So that's how we first got involved. My brother also went with me too. My brother's three years younger than me. Um, he's also a national master as well. And that's how we first started playing, um, just at that little after school program. And it, it kind of ballooned into um, this whole thing. My whole family was involved in chess and just become just became something that like, all, you know, my mom and my dad both play as well. And we would go to the Dallas Chess Club almost two to three times a week, like when we when we started and we would just play in tournaments. So that was, yeah, it was a huge part of my life growing up, like playing a lot. Was it love at first sight in terms of chess? You say you and your brother. So I imagine you were like seven or eight. How old were you when you went to that tournament? Yeah, I was seven. My brother was four. And I honestly think, so I don't remember. My parents tell me that I actually was not as interested in it, but my brother was. And then when I saw Jonathan get really into it, I was like, oh, hey, like, I want to do what he's doing. And so I started getting into it as well. So that's the story. So talk to us about your chess training regimen. Like, what was it like when you were, you know, eight, nine, and also like a preteen or early teens? Yeah, so I think at the beginning, we were more just trying it out, seeing if we liked it. We didn't do any like hardcore rigorous studying, but we did have a coach there. And I think like after we went through all the basics and we got all the fundamentals down, then we started playing in tournaments. And after that, it was mainly like analyzing our games, looking at our mistakes. For me in particular, I had the hardest time with tactics. That was something that took me a long, long time to figure out and to get good at. So I spent a lot of time drilling tactics. So that's what I did primarily first couple years of playing chess. And then after that, 
when I was in seventh grade, before we went on to eighth grade, we decided that I would be homeschooled. So more more accurate to say online school since both my parents work. So I would do an online curriculum and just stay at home and like do school that way so that I could have the flexibility to travel to out-of-state competitions and also world competitions as well. Because at that time, my school didn't give out homework ahead of time. So it would have been really hard to travel and compete in those tournaments if I had stayed in public school. So I was actually online schooled from eighth grade all the way to the end of high school. So I, I did that. And most of my time was spent doing schoolwork, but then also studying chess. And at that point, what I did consisted of mainly also tactics, but looking at a lot of studies, looking at a lot of games, analyzing my own games. That's kind of the regimen that I followed. How many hours of chess training was it during your homeschooling? I would say I tried to do like at least two, I would say, um, two hours a day. At that time, honestly, even though I was online schooled, I still spent a lot of time at school because I was taking a lot of AP classes as well. So yeah, it definitely wasn't, I didn't take on a, like a light school load. So I did have to study a lot still. So yeah, but I say around two hours. And how did you feel about the homeschooling? Did you like being homeschooled or did you kind of miss the atmosphere of high school? <laughs> so this is what I'll say to that. If I were to go and do it again, I don't know if I could. Um, <laughs> because I was, so both my parents worked. So I was at home all the time just by myself. My brother was actually homeschooled for about a year, but then he had to go back to school because he just needed that social interaction. Like it just like wasn't healthy for him to not be around his peers and have that friendship and build those relationships. For me, I could do it. Um, Like I was okay being at home alone by myself, but I will say like it was hard. It was definitely very hard. And now that, you know, I've gone through college and I'm in med school and like, I'm like a different person now. I don't think I could live and do school just like that by myself, just by myself, like all day, every day. I do have mixed feelings about doing that curriculum. One, I do think it like gave me a lot of opportunities in chess, which I'm very grateful for. And it's got me, you know, it got me pretty far along in my chess career. But if I were to do it differently, I would say I would definitely have reached out to like my middle school friends or my elementary school friends just so I could build, you know, keep those connections. Because what ended up happening was that in terms of my social interaction, it just became like chess tournaments. And I also did Taekwondo at the time. So like when I would go to Taekwondo, talk to those those friends as well. But it wasn't, I didn't have like a strong group of friends as like a social connection. And so I think that was missing throughout all of high school. And what was the primary reason for doing the homeschooling? Was it because of chess so that you could, mm-hmm. it was because of chess. Okay. Yeah. And did you ever have any feelings that the chess training itself was too rigorous or time consuming? Um, I don't think so. I, I think that like at the time I thought that doing around two hours a day was pretty manageable. So especially like with my school schedule and everything, I felt like I thought it was okay. I didn't think, I didn't feel like it was extremely rigorous. So it was more just the fact that 
the reason to homeschool was not so that you could study lots and lots of chess every day. It was more so that your schedule would be flexible. So if you need to leave on like a Thursday to go to a chess tournament, you could easily do that. Exactly. And what ended up happening was that I would structure my days so that I essentially just did school on Saturdays. So I would just have six day work weeks and then just like take one day off just so I could work ahead little by little. So I could like go to world youth for two weeks or go and play like a four day tournament in Philly or something like that. So did you ever feel like you, there was too much pressure on you as a chess player and that you wanted to like, just relax more? I would say there was definitely pressure if I were to be honest. I think in some respects, like, like having the option maybe just to like take some time off and just not study for a while, which was always an option, but like we were always playing tournaments, at least like one tournament every week. So I always felt like I had to keep up with it, like study and do things like that. Like now looking back at it, I feel like when I look at all the peers that I used to play with, a lot of them are still, you know, they're not like professional players, but they will still occasionally go to tournaments. They like to keep up with chess. They'll still like be really interested in all these different things that are happening in the chess world. And I think for me, once I hit college and just, I think for me, chess kind of, lo- I kind of lost interest in it over time when it was no longer something that like I ha- not had to do. But like, that was like the main, like extracurricular focus. And is there any like particular memory of like, where you felt like chess was just too big a role in your life in high school? Um, Like any moment where it kind of like became clear that you like wanted to be thinking about something else at that point? So I don't know if there was like a clear defining moment, but I definitely do remember there were some moments where I was like, I don't feel like going to play in a tournament today. You know, we usually play Friday or Saturday night tournaments and those will last from maybe 6 6 p.m. to like 11 p.m. or 10 p.m., something like that. They were always like really late. And, you know, so there were definitely times that I remember where I was like, I don't feel like playing today. But then it would be like, oh, you know, like you have to get better. Like playing is good. So I did feel pressure to do that. So I don't necessarily think that'd be a turning point. What did you want to do instead? And most of those times that you didn't feel like playing the tournaments, was there like just, just veg out or like something specific? No. Yeah. It honestly was just, you know, just like resting, <laughs> like just like chilling at home. There wasn't like another activity that I really wanted to do per se, because for us, the focus was never to become like a professional chess player. It was always that chess would become a vehicle to learn a lot of different life lessons, which it did. It taught me a lot of different skills and it did teach me a lot of life lessons. But the goal was always go to college, become whatever you want to do after that. It was not like, oh, you must go pro. So I don't think I I don't think I ever, you know, necessarily was like, oh, like I don't want to be pro. That was that wasn't like part of the thought process. And what was the biggest life lesson that justified you? I think through a lot of those high pressure tournaments, so like U.S. Women's, U.S. Juniors, even Pan Ams and World Youth, I learned 
how to deal with external pressure and external expectations in terms of like, how do I mentally fortitude my own mind and allow me to perform the best that I can? Because a lot of, in a lot of those times in those tournaments, I would get really nervous about upsetting other people, you know, just like, oh, I'm expected to perform a certain way. And if I don't, then people are going to think bad of me. And I think the way that I did that was I thought about the future. I thought, okay, in five years, 10 years from now, like even if I completely bomb this tournament, even if, you know, I plunder or I make a mistake or look really stupid on like national, you know, broadcasting, people will not care in five to 10 years. So if they don't care, like, why should I be so worried about how these people think of me? So I think having that perspective was really helpful. And I've carried that throughout throughout my life too, even in terms of like academics, for instance, like not letting a poor test grade or a bad score define like who I am as a person and just being like, okay, five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to be a doctor. Like you're not going to remember how you did on your pulmonology exam. (laughs) So it's just like having that perspective is, has been really helpful. Pulmonology, that's uh, lungs? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, that's a great life lesson. I mean, I think that's fantastic. Like chess, you do risk that like severe embarrassment of blundering, um, especially when you're playing like on a stream. And the idea that, you know, you have to understand its transience, I think is really, really powerful. So you mentioned that in college, you kind of stopped playing chess, but you of course did do this writing and this research project. What kind of parts of the game of chess kind of lingered as something that you loved, even as you stopped playing actively? I do love teaching. So this is not just teaching chess, but just like teaching in general. Um, But I thought that it kind of flowed nicely into teaching chess. So that's some part that I still enjoy. And honestly, now it's kind of ironic. I mentioned that like I wasn't super great at tactics. Now that's all I teach is like when I, (laughs) most of my students are younger kids. And so that's like the first thing that we start off with after the fundamentals and the basics. I just like drill them on tactics. So I think that that's been nice. So teaching. And then I, I think when I saw you in St. Louis, you mentioned that you like blitz chess also. I do like with chess. I kind of, sometimes I still go online and I play occasionally. So I think that's just some way that I can kind of take my mind off of other things is just like I go and I play. And um, what would you recommend to parents trying to balance, like based on your own experience, like what would you recommend to parents or coaches trying to balance allowing their students or their children to reach their potential, but without, you know, risking pushing them too hard or, you know, squashing their enjoyment? I think just being attentive to like what your kids say. If your kid needs a break for a little bit, then I'll give them that space and don't pressure them and feel like they have to continue on with something. So, and keep it fun. Like there were some parents that I remember seeing, they would always say to their kid before they played into a tournament, like, have fun, like make sure you have fun. So it's like keeping, I think the the game just like enjoyable for their kid, for your kid, I think would be great. But most important, just like listening to your kid, like knowing, seeing the signs of when your kid is like, might start to lose interest or like might just need a break for a little bit. Um, just being attentive to that. 
what would have made it more fun for you? And what was like your most fun memory in chess? In terms of the most fun memory, I think honestly, it was building relationships and friendships through chess. So when I would go back to tournaments, like just being able to like meet up with old friends from the past or things like that, I honestly felt that was really fun and enjoyable for me. Like even at chess tournaments when I was younger, a lot of my friends were like people like my brother's age, for instance. And so like even being able to hang out with them and like be friends with them, I thought was like really fun. So I think the social aspect was honestly really important for me. I don't necessarily know like what that would entail in terms of like what my parents could do about that. But for me, I think that was like a fun part of chess for me. I remember that too. Yes. I absolutely. Was there one tournament that like sticks out at you that was like super fun? So it came in college really because in college everyone played or a lot of my friends played in the collegiate tournaments. So at that point, all my friends were in different colleges. And so it almost like was a reunion for the most part, going back to these tournaments every year. And it was really fun just to like hang out. I think one of the tournaments we went to New Orleans and after one of the rounds, a group of us just like decided to go to the streets in New Orleans and just like hang out and just see this, like see the sights there. So that was really fun. Oh, I bet. I think I read about that one, New Orleans. I, I never got to go to the mm-hmm. Pan Ams in New Orleans, but I did go to Miami once. So that was another good town for a college tournament. Yeah. <laughs> the Pan American Championships. That's right. It's a great event. And, you know, I think they're moving it to early January, which is pretty cool because I think that it's, it used to always be traditionally like in the, the break between Christmas and New Year's. Mm-hmm. It can be a little tricky for some people. Right. So I think that'll make it even more fun having it like a time frame when people aren't like kind of rushed from one holiday to the next. Well, this has been great. Any any plans now? I know you're in med school. Any plans now to uh, make chess part of your life, whether it's by playing or just by, you know, furthering some of this like creative and scientific intrigue you have about like the stereotype thread and, and things like that? I think for the most part, like I'm going to continue with teaching for sure. And I I know, Jen, you mentioned in the World Chess Hall of Fame, that's something that's super exciting. So potentially some events that are going on there. Um, I would love to check those out and potentially get involved. So that sounds really exciting as well. You're going to be a visitor in our U.S. Chess Girls Club, which is very exciting. Yes. And maybe that's also very exciting. And talk about one of these games in Peru. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. I mean, a lot my girls in that club often have questions about like open tournaments and women's tournaments. So normally we don't talk about it that much. It just doesn't really come up that frequently. Maybe in the Q and A, like one question will come up. But I really feel like it, I want to give them the opportunity to think through it themselves. So your perspective would be really valuable too. Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever really had one like that because when I was coming up. There were very few girls tournaments, whereas Mm -hmm. now it's a bit more realistic that somebody would have to decide because, you know, you've got the Pan Ams and the North American youth, and then you also have the U.S. junior girls and the junior. So a couple of different girls have had to tie between those two. So I think the decision being a decision does come up more often than it used to. But seriously, Sarah, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us on Ladies Night and talking to us about 
your really unique perspective in uh, in playing chess and the stereotype thread and of course the famous tournament in Peru. And yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. I'm glad that you're, you still have like a toe in the chess world because we love to have you here. Yes, thank you so much. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The US Chess Suite of podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. Chess Podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish I got it all wrong After slightly My dear Capablanco, you tell me we'll learn more from our defeats. Who needs victories, right?